0: Take a choir and orchestra, and I'm sure that you can say a hearty amen to that. Aren't you blessed? Maybe not. You want to live with that or you want to try again? All right. Well, no, well, let's do it together. I think you can say a hearty amen to that. Amen. That's, that's a lot better. Well, today we're going to continue our series from the Sermon on the Mount. And we're looking to the subject of marriage and divorce, somewhat controversial. I, I do not have the time to say all I believe, and you will not believe all I say. And I understand that. And the truth is, you may be right. So uh, don't come up to me after the service is over and tell me where I missed it. I might have but I'm the one who has the responsibility to preach today, and uh, so when you go home, you can preach your own own message, and that's fine with me. At the time Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, there were three primary influences on the family. There was the Jewish influence, and they had a high ideal of marriage. In fact, it was expected that every Jewish male would marry. Barclay wrote, marriage was a sacred duty which a man was bound to undertake. He might delay or abstain from marriage for only one reason, to devote his whole time to the study of the law. So it was expected by the Jews that every male was to marry, and they abhorred divorce. There was a rabbinical saying that stated the very altar sheds tears when a man divorces the wife of his youth. So when we look at the Jewish influence, they had a high standard, high ideals, but they failed miserably. Divorce was very easy. A man would issue a bill of divorcement to his wife, that stated, Let this be from me thy writ of divorce and letter of dismissal and deed of liberation, that thou mayest marry whatsoever man thou wilt. So he handed the bill of divorcement to his wife in the presence of two witnesses, and the divorce then was final. Then there was the influence of the Greeks. And the Greeks believed that adultery was totally acceptable. Demosthenes wrote, we have courtesans for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately. Cicero wrote, if there is anyone who thinks that young men should be absolutely forbidden the love of courtesans, he is indeed extremely severe. So in the Greek culture, a man could divorce his wife as he gave to her her final charge in the face of two witnesses and the divorce was final. All he had to do was to return her dowry. Then there was the Roman influence. So there were the Jews, the Greeks, and the Romans. The Romans were incredible for a long period of time because of the high ideal they had of marriage. In fact, Barclay wrote, so high was the standard of Roman morality that for the first 500 years of the Roman commonwealth, there was not one single recorded case of divorce the first 500 years what happened to them they were influenced and impacted by the Greek culture in fact Barclay wrote in the military and the imperial sense Rome conquered Greece but in the moral and social sense Greece conquered Rome Divorce became as common as marriage. So, what I want you to understand is the background when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. There were three basic influences in their understanding of the family there was the Jewish influence, the Greek influence, and the Roman influence. It was in this background that Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Now, take your Bibles, look with me at Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. And it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. All right, now Moses dealt with the subject of divorce in the Old Testament. A woman was held at that time in such low esteem that divorce was extremely easy. A man could divorce his wife at that time for virtually any reason. If she were a poor homemaker, that was reason for divorce. If she were a bad cook, too much salt on the food, that was reason for divorce. If she spoke to another man, that was grounds for divorce. What I want you to understand is that at the time of Moses, when he deals with the subject, divorce was extremely easy. What Moses was trying to do was to control the excesses Of divorce. And so he gave some standards for them. First of all, he limited the grounds for divorce. In Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse number 1, when a man takes a wife and marries her and it happens that she find no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands and sends her out of his house. So Moses said then there's one grounds for divorce, some indecency. What was some indecency? Well, the truth is we probably don't know exactly. Matthew Henry wrote, whatever is meant by it, doubtless it was something considerable. So, that their modern doctors erred who allowed divorce for every cause, though ever so trivial. So, when Moses is dealing with the subject, then the first thing that he did was to limit the grounds for divorce to some indecency. The second thing he did was to give a bill of divorcement. Now, this was not something that could be said, so it's not something that was done hastily. So it was a written bill of divorcement that he was to give to her and it was for the protection of the woman. In this bill of divorcement, it had to contain the indecency with which she was accused in the sight of two witnesses. So in the bill of divorcement, there was some indecency. It had to be given in the sight of two witnesses. Secondly, the bill of divorcement had to state why he had divorced her. So this was then for the protection of the woman. The third thing he did was to make divorce permanent. In other words, a man was not to divorce his wife, thinking that he was going to be able to remarry her at a later time. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 4, Then her former husband, who sent her away, is not allowed to take her again to be his wife. So what you have to understand concerning Moses is that he dealt with the issue of divorce. He was attempting to limit the abuse of divorce. He did so by limiting the grounds. You had to give a bill of divorcement. And thirdly, he said you could not remarry the woman. So he was trying to protect the woman. Now, as you know, the Pharisees interpreted what Moses had said. There were two schools of thought among the Pharisees. There was the Hillel school and there was the Shammai school. The Hillel school was the liberal branch. They interpreted some indecency in the broadest terms possible. In fact, A.W. Pink wrote, In the apocryphal writings we read, The son of Sirach saith, If she go, not as thou wouldst have her, cut her off from thy flesh, give her a bill of divorce, and let her go. Now that is under the system, the Hillel system. Give her a bill of divorce, and let her go. Josephus, the Jewish historian, divorced his wife after she had borne three children to him because he was not pleased with her behavior. So under the system, the Hillel school of thought, if a woman went out in public with her head uncovered, that was reason for divorce. That was a legitimate reason for a man to divorce his wife. If a man found A woman who was more attractive to him than his wife that was grounds for him to divorce her you can see at the time that the wife basically had little or no value that was just the time the woman had little or no value in society and so divorce then was easy in some quarters, that's still true today. There was a man who had gone to the police because his wife was missing. He was interviewing the man to find out about the wife who was missing. And he said, how, how tall is she? He said, uh, I don't know. I, I never checked. Well, is she slim or healthy? Well, she's not slim. She must be healthy. What's the color of her eyes? I, I never checked. What's the color of her hair? Well, that changes with the seasons. What was she driving? And he said, a black Audi with supercharged 3.0 liter V6 <laughs> engine generating 333 horsepower full LED lights which use light-emitting diodes for all light functions, and she has a very thin scratch on the front left door, and the husband started crying. And the policeman said, Don't worry, sir, we will find your car. So under the Hill Hillel school, divorce was easy. A man could divorce his wife for virtually any reason. Under the Shammai school, they were the conservatives. Some indecency was defined as sexual unfaithfulness. Now, you have those two schools during the time of the Pharisees, the Hillels, the liberals, the Shammai, the conservatives. Which school do you think dominated society? The Hillel school. Now, I don't think any of us would be surprised by that but the Hillel school dominated society so it is during that time that Jesus addresses the subject Jesus believed in the sanctity of marriage that it was sacred in Matthew chapter 19 verses 5 and 6 for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Ladies and gentlemen, it is God who joins a man and woman in marriage. The idea of marriage was not born in the mind of man. It was born in the heart of God. And so God then is the one who brought Adam and Eve together as he instituted the first marriage. So the question then is how can man undo what God has done? God is the one who established marriage. How does man undo what God has done? The one reason or one of the reasons that happens is because we listen to the wrong authorities. Barbara D'Angelo wrote a bestseller on marriage. She's been married five times. One of her husbands wrote, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. He's been married three times. Sometimes we are looking to the wrong place for advice on marriage. Ann Landers, for 50 years, advised people about marriage. After she had been married 36 years, she divorced her husband because they no longer were in love. One of the reasons that our marriages fail is that we are looking to the wrong authorities. We must understand that God abhors divorce. The Bible says in Malachi 2.16, For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Why? Why would God say that, that he hates divorce? Well, because it breaks a sacred vow. Marriage is sacred. Wes Covington wrote a book, How to Dump Your Wife and Hide Your Girlfriend. He said simply, just dump her. That is the attitude a lot of people have about marriage today. Just dump her. USA Today wrote an article about starter marriages when one is young they marry someone as they outgrow that person or time goes by they get someone else it is a starter marriage do you understand that satan has always attacked the family and the family is under such attack today we don't even know how to define family satan has always attacked the family you see God said that he hates it because it breaks a sacred vow, because it is a sacred vow when we marry someone. It hinders the development of godly children. Now I say that not to say that it can't be done, because it it has been done. You know it and I know it, but it makes it difficult. In fact, the National Commission on Children wrote, when parents divorce or fail to marry, children are often the victims. We know that's true. When there is not that figure of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, a mother and a father in the home, it makes it more difficult to develop godly children because we both have a role to play in the development of the children. So God hates divorce because it breaks a sacred vow, because it hinders the development of godly children, thus it is not approved by God. In Matthew 19, verses 7 and 8, they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. So Jesus gives the grounds in verse 32, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the cause of unchastity makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So what he is saying is that God has permitted divorce. Pink wrote, not approving of the giving of a bill of divorce for every trifling cause, but permitting it for the sake of preventing greater misery and crime. God permits it, but he does not demand it. I know of people, and probably you do as well, who have divorced or or who who had a sexual issue in their family, but they didn't divorce and the family is stronger today than it was. Because that's what God can do. God can heal things if we look to him that we cannot imagine. Now then we come to the sticky question. Can a divorced person remarry? Can someone who is divorced scripturally remarry? Well, there would be a question I think that we would have to consider before we answer that one. Is divorce separation, or does it dissolve the relationship? Now, if it is separation then one cannot remarry if it dissolves the relationship one can now I know that some of you are not going to agree with my position here and that's quite all right I'm going to state my position and then uh, you can talk to your friend after the service is over and tell them why I missed it but this is going to be the way that we're going to do it if Divorce is separation, no remarriage. If it dissolves a relationship, one can remarry. Both examples are in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, let her remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not send his wife away. All right. Now that is the case where the separation there is a separation that does not allow remarriage because they are separated. But then in 1 Corinthians 7:15, Paul wrote yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. Not under bondage. Not under bondage to what? Paul says that the brother or sister is not under bondage. Under bondage to what? To the marriage vow. Therefore, in this instance, the marriage is dissolved. Thus, one can remarry. I think there are three scriptural approvals for remarriage. And uh, if you can find some others, bring them to me, and uh, I I will continue the sermon with your addition at a later time. But I know of three. First of all, where there is unchastity, verse number 32. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, unchastity. Guy Duty wrote, Would Jesus make it right for a man to divorce an adulterous wife and then make it wrong for him to remarry? What kind of law would that be which establishes a right but places a no marriage penalty on anyone who uses the right? Okay? So one time when it is acceptable for remarriage is there is unfaithfulness or chastity now that can go some other directions too because of what jesus said if a man commits adultery in his heart and so forth but it, unchastity second is death when the spouse dies first corinthians seven thirty nine. a wife is bound as long as her husband lives but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. So if the spouse dies, then the person is able to remarry. Three is desertion. In 1 Corinthians 7.15, it speaks of an unbelieving mate who leaves the believer. Thus, the believer is free to remarry. Guy duty said... When there is valid grounds for divorce, the marriage is dissolved for both parties. The divorce could not dissolve the union for one without dissolving it for the other. But the guilty party must take the blame before God. Okay, now those are the three that I know. Truthfully, some of you may say, well, I am divorced and remarried, But I'm not sure that I scripturally qualify based on what you're saying. So what should I do? What should I do? First of all, understand that divorce is a sin. It is not the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior. So if it is a sin, what should I do? I should repent of it, confess it, and accept forgiveness. Isn't that what we are supposed to do with other sin? And then move on. Jesus said to the woman, Go and sin no more. So I think, and 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 we accept forgiveness. I, you know, that's one of the hardest things. In fact, I was I was praying before I came out here. That's one of the hardest things for me to do, is to accept forgiveness. Sometimes I think that I, I need one of those whips and, you know, just beat myself with it. Because it's hard for me to accept the grace of God. God is so good. And he is so kind. And he is so gracious. So, ladies and gentlemen, when we sin, we confess that to God. And he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we accept his forgiveness and then we go forward. Now let me conclude. You want, if you're married or if you're going to get married, you want a healthy marriage. Let me just give you some practical pointers to consider. First of all, never consider divorce. If you do, if, if you, do you will exercise the option probably. You know, Linda has said on numerous occasions, I never considered. Divorce, though, I have considered murder. (laughs) Probably all of you would say that. Don't compare. Don't compare your maid. I was talking with Charles Jackson, pastor over at Brookland. He told me about going back to a high school reunion. And he said, I saw some of the girls I, I, I thought would make good wives when I was younger. He said, I'm so glad God didn't answer that prayer. Don't compare your mate. Don't compare your marriage. Listen, what works for Linda and me probably would not work for you. And that's really the truth. The way Linda and I do things is probably not the way that you would do things. That's fine. So don't compare the way that you do things or your marriage to my marriage. It's your marriage. Thirdly, stop criticizing cicero said it is the peculiar quality of a fool to perceive the faults of others and to forget his own don't criticize your spouse we you know that is a bad habit ladies and gentlemen we get into a bad habit of just criticizing the person to whom we are married stop criticizing i'm not going to give you 12 points just don't do it you know that's like and that's, To me, that's sort of like prayers. People want to go to a seminar about praying. You know, we ought to pray. Just pray. You don't need to go to six classes to pray. Just pray. Stop criticizing. Learn to communicate. And if you don't learn to communicate, your marriage just can't make it. Trust. trust. Do you trust your spouse? I trust Linda with everything I have. She can have the checkbook. I don't care what it is. She can have because I trust her. And if she wants to to blow the thing up, she can blow it up. We'll go up together. But I trust her. I totally trust her. Trust your mate. Forgive. We all do things wrong. Forgive. Be thankful. Cherish, treasure the person to whom you're married. And build your marriage on the Lord. That's what he said. Marry in the Lord. Our Father in God, I come to you at this time. I pray, Lord, that you will take your words and apply it to our hearts. Help us to have a better understanding. Help us to be committed to the Spirit. And Lord, to your word, I pray, Father, that you will bless the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand, extend an invitation for you to trust the Lord, to join the church. Choir's going to sing. You stand with me, please. As we stand together, they will sing. You come, and I'll greet you as you do.